Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. May God bless the reading of his word. Today, we have Minister Jeff preaching in our series, Unless the Lord Builds It. The sermon title for today is The Role of the Husband. Over to you, Pastor Jeff. A few years ago, I was at a wedding that took place outdoors. And the pastor at the time was reading and preaching from Ephesians 5, which is the same passage that we have this morning. And as he's speaking about these things, he's reading for the passage, there's these cows nearby that start mooing, like really loudly. And so the pastor, the poor pastor is trying to read from the passage, you know, husbands are the head of their wives. Mm. Wives, submit. Mm. And I, and I, poor guy, I just remember thinking to myself, are, are these cows mooing in agreement or in protest? And you know, we were in the Bible Belt, so I don't know, maybe these cows, I don't know, maybe the cows would be different if they were from Massachusetts, but... In any case, right, if you've been to a number of Christian weddings, you, you kind of know the typical passages that get read. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 John 4, Genesis 1, Ephesians 5. Now, Ephesians 5 is an interesting passage because it uses some interesting language when it talks about the role of the husband and the wife. Language that on its surface probably is going to rub a lot of people the wrong way particularly in the year 2021. And so what we're going to be doing this week and next week is splitting this passage and covering it into two sermons. You can think of it as a two-part sermon that complement each other. The role of the husband and the role of the wife. And there's going to be a lot to unpack here. And, and honestly, two 30-minute sermons won't be able to do it justice. But and I hope what it's going to do is at least gives us a foundation, a, a way to look at things, and it'll, it'll challenge us, particularly those of us who are married, to live in a way that is honoring to Christ and to our spouses. Our passage is laid out in, you know, what feels like a very convoluted manner. You know, I, I mean, if the presider, if you were paying attention earlier, as the presider was reading verse 21, you know, it started up in the middle of a sentence. But that's where there's one natural break, at least in the original Greek. 
And so in verse 22, where it says, wives, submit to your own husbands, the word to submit is actually not there. It's an ellipsis. So it's, it's not there, but it's drawing from the word previously, from the command to submit to one another in verse 21. And so quite literally, it would be submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. It feels like it's a small distinction, but it's a crucial one because even as Paul writes and acknowledges these distinction of roles and the husband is the head of the wife, um, you know, it grounds the command for wives to submit in the command for mutual submission between husband and wife. And that's not the end of it. I mean, we could kind of go back even further to see Paul's flow of thought. We could go all the way back to verse 15. You know, the beginning of the section there. And uh, there, Paul, he's writing about how they ought to walk or to live as children of God, those who imitate God. And, and so he gives three of these not-but examples. So he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, not being foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and not getting drunk, but being filled with the Spirit. So these three things are examples of how they ought to live as Christ followers. And and look at that last one, be filled with the Spirit. Paul uh, launches into five participles to even further explain and expound on what it means for Christians to be Spirit-filled. So verse 19, they address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They sing, they make melody, uh, they give thanks always, and lastly, they submit to one one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a picture of what it means uh, for the mark of the Christian, the spirit-filled Christians to live. But again, Paul, in his typical Pauline fashion, he's not done. So he continues again, expounding then on what it looks like to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so verse 21 then is this hinge verse that goes all the way back to verse 15 and then leads to the book of our passage today in verses 22 to 33, where Paul is instructing wives to submit and respect their husbands and and husbands to love their wives sacrificially. That's a lot. But in short, what what we see here is Paul is exhorting his Christian readers to look at how they live. One of those ways is being filled with the Spirit. Because that's the mark of a true Christian is to have the Spirit. And Spirit-filled Christians will submit to one another. And, And Paul then applies that specifically to the home, to the nature of the relationship between husband and wife, even if that submission looks differently. These few verses are are what scholars call household codes. It was a pretty common thing back then, but these household codes discussed various types of common relationships back then. So you had husband-wife, parent-child, master-slave. Now, the wider Greco-Roman world also had household codes, but I think there's a major difference here. Paul's applying it differently. In the Greco-Roman society, the household was the basic social unit. It was the foundation of the state. So when you, when you disrupt the management, the order of the household, it had social and political concerns. 
the motivation to adhere to the way that these relationships function was political. But as, you know, as we're going to see in our passage, Paul's motivation is not political. It's Christological. He puts forth Jesus Christ as the model and the motivation for the relationship that he lays out. Another major difference is that unlike the Greco-Roman household codes, Paul is actually taking it, but he's addressing the wives, children, and slaves equally with their counterparts. Now, you might feel like it doesn't feel pretty equal, but, but actually here in this text, it actually focuses even more on the responsibilities and obligations of the more powerful persons, something that these other codes didn't. It left no room for abuse or, or domination. Now, these New Testament household codes were conservative, yeah, but they're also quite countercultural. So what's the point? One possibility is that Paul is setting forth a vision and a plan for how these believers ought to conduct themselves in these new creation communities. And the Ephesian household was a way to exemplify that. And so we, if we kind of take our, our lens and we zoom out and we, we recognize that Ephesians has a major theme in the unity of the church. That unity works itself out through believers walking wisely, being filled by the Spirit. That's verse 15 and so on. And the Ephesian household code enhances that unity. And so one scholar, he puts it this way, that the purpose of the household codes is not to repress the socially downtrodden, but to transform spiritually all who are in Christ especially uh, husbands, fathers, and masters included. So particularly those people leaving no room for abuse or, or domination. It was to be a display to the Roman world how believers who are transformed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, how they function. And this is, I think, even more important when we see where Paul places this passage in his letter. Ephesians talks about the unity of the church. But it also talks about a lot of spiritual conflict, spiritual warfare, this, this conflict between the church and the powers of evil. And so here, our passage is sandwiched between Paul talking about being filled with the Spirit and uh, a later passage, the next passage, about the armor of God and spiritual warfare. So placing it here, puts the household, specifically the marriage relationship, in the crosshairs of spiritual conflict. And so that's why it's such an important topic for us. There's a, there's a lot going on here in this surrounding context that adds to what Paul writes in verses 22 to 33. And, and when we finally get to this passage, it, it's kind of set up in kind of three parts. You have the person or the role of position that's named, wives, husbands, parent, child. You have a command that is given, and then, and then Paul gives a motivating statement. And so we're going to talk about the role of the wife next week and what the Bible says about that. But even in those verses, we see briefly that Paul is saying something about the role of the husband. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. Verse 23, he says, husbands are the head of their wives. Now, we have to be really careful here, right? Verse 23, you could easily abuse that. It's probably one of the more abused and debated texts in the New Testament. Now, look, I mean, the word for 
head probably means something like authority. It, it's about positional power, not necessarily personal power. It, it is about an, an ordered relationship. And yet, Paul's focus is not on the privilege or the dominance of the husband. The text actually does not expressly tell the wives to obey their husbands, but rather to submit. There's a distinction there, and we can explore that next week. There's no license here given for husbands to force submission. The husbands are in a position. They're given a position of leadership and authority. But again, we have to be careful about, you know, when we talk about what, the, what does that look like? You know, I don't think it necessarily means stereotypes of, you know, masculine uh, and feminine behavior. We live in 2021 in a culture, in a country where there are house husbands, uh, mid-career moms, uh, women who have a lot more education than, uh, than their husbands, wives who make more than their husbands, husbands who clean the house and change a lot of dirty diapers. Does this all go against Ephesians 5? I don't think so. But the meaning of the passages is, is, again, hard to argue against, right? The, the New Testament assigns the husband a, a leadership role in marriage, but at the same time, the passage is quick to carefully circumscribe that authority of the husband to pre- preclude dominion over an abuse of the wife. So the challenge and area of dispute here is not necessarily interpretation, but application. Meaning, okay, what does leadership look like? What, what does submission look like? T- to add to that, to, to draw from our, our church's marriage mentoring binder, so chapter three in that binder is on roles and responsibilities. And our former pastor, Chuck, he, he writes, the main line of response distinguishes form and function. The function or, or meaning which Paul affirms is male leadership in female subordination. Again, that term is very charged, but it probably doesn't mean what we, you think it means, at least right now. A first century form for expressing that was a shoulder length head covering. In the 21st century, function and meaning would remain the same. Male leadership, female subordination. Form, that is the way those roles are symbolically communicated, could change, however. I'm sure even, you know, as some of you guys have gone through premarital counseling or marriage mentoring, you know, there's a lot of discussion about what that looks like. Now, Paul does mention, talk about the husband's headship, but at the same time, he seems really interested in flipping our expectations and discussion when it comes to uh, what it means for the husband to be the head. First, he, he grounds the husband's headship in Christ. Headship, something that transcends the cultural context. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, Paul is not saying that the husband is literally saves his wife. There, he, I think he's making a Christological statement. But there is something to the fact that Christ is the savior and what that meant was his sacrificial death which serves as a model for the husbands, the extent to which we're, we were, are to go. So uh, husbands are the head of their wives, but again, what does that mean specifically? I think it's this. Husbands, lead by loving your wives, not by lording it over them. 
husband's headship is, is mentioned, but almost immediately, Paul urges the husbands repeatedly, love your wives, love your wives. And so an authority is given, but it is circumscribed. There are about 41 words that Paul has for the wives, and much of our focus might be on those 41 words. But Paul has a lot more to say to husbands needing to love their wives, to to humble themselves, to put their wives' interests above their own at times. He follows it up with 116 words to husbands. And I think he singles every one of us out. In verse 33, he says, Let each one of you love his wife as himself. So I can even picture, you know, Paul's letter to the Ephesians circulating amongst the different house churches being read aloud. And as it's read, every husband in the congregation is addressed directly and personally. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. So yes, husbands are the head, but the focus is on them leading by loving their wives, not by lording it over them. And Paul gives two ways or motivations for that. The first, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Verses 25 to 27. As Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with a word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Here, Paul puts forth Christ as the example of leading and sacrificial love. Christ is the one who took the initiative with joy to hand himself over to death for his people. I mean, this is the extent to which Christ loves the church. And his sacrificial love has a goal. The text says that he might sanctify her. That is, to set her apart in an exclusive relationship. And then to to cleanse her, to make her holy. Now again, obviously, we're imperfect, sinful husbands. We mess up each and every day. And in no way do we have the power to make our wives holy. Even if some of us have tried and failed. Miserably. But, but there's something to be said about the self-giving, selfless act that seeks to put your wife's interests above your own. It's, it's a high bar when we think of Jesus Christ. The, the husband's love is not conditional on the wife's submission. You see, there's no if clause in our command to love our wives. There is no Let me do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit only if my wife respects me. There is no, let me look not only to my wife's, uh, to my interest, but to my wife's interest, but only if she submits. There is no, let me humble myself, but only if my wife first, if she is the one who humbles herself first. It is a, a clear and unqualified command to love our wives, to serve them, to care for their spiritual well-being, to cherish them. And we see that in the picture of Christ and the church. Jesus, who sets for us an example of loving a church that is not always so loving. When husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, it, it means all areas 
of your married life will be characterized by this self-giving love and grace. Whether that's taking care of the kids or doing chores joyfully, providing financially for your wife or your family, even in your disagreements, in your arguments, which I know is incredibly hard to do. But again, this, this links back, right, to Paul's earlier command in verse 15 to be careful how we live, to be filled with the Spirit. The mark of the Christian is, is having the Spirit in our passage today is a, is a call to husbands to live in step with the Spirit as husbands. Paul gives a second manner in which husbands are to love their wives. Verses 28 to 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. Husbands, we, you know, we care for ourselves in many different ways, and Sometimes we pay a lot of attention to it, right? From the way we, I don't know, style our hair or how we groom our facial hair or how we fix our ties. What Paul is doing is, he, is he taking, he's taking this high standard of love, right? Modeled after Christ. He's giving us a, a concrete way to view it. Bringing it down to earth. So, so well, maybe it's not taking care of ourselves uh, that we should use as an example because maybe some of us aren't so great at that. Um, we don't want to use that as a standard to, to loving our wives, but perhaps maybe you can think to other things that you take care of, that you pay extra attention to. Maybe it's building your computer or leveling up in whatever game you're playing at the time or, or taking care of your car or taking good care of your grill, right? Scraping it and cleaning it after every barbecue. The, the passage is urging us to consider all the ways that we care for these things or ourselves and make sure that we provide the same level, if not more, same, uh, level of care and love for our wives. And, and when Paul writes, he, he who loves his wife loves himself, he's actually, he's drawing from that commandment in Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. So he's applying that second greatest commandment in a very direct way to the love which a husband should have for his wife, who's his most nearest and dearest neighbor. We could even take it even further since Paul cites Genesis 2, where, where the husband and wife become one flesh. One author puts it this way, the, the husband's obligation to love his wife as his own body is not simply a matter of loving someone else just like he loves himself. It is, in fact, to love himself. It's a much stronger connection there. And this is reflected in Christ, whose love for the church is seen as love for his own body. So husbands, lead by loving your wives, not by lording it over them. Maybe today or sometime this week, you can take that time to ask your wife, ask your spouse, do I love you? How do I love you? How can I do a better job? That's going to be pretty vulnerable, I'm sure. But maybe it'll help us to, to continue to do that.
better. And as we do so, let us look to Christ as our own example. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for Jesus Christ, for his love for us, for the church, and his motto, his example, where he gave his life for us. Lord, we pray now for us, particularly those of us who are married, and as husbands, that you would be filling us with your spirit, that we might lead and love our wives better in a Christ-like manner. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.